Hello, Midnight Mythies. Welcome to the Midnight Myth Time Machine. We're publishing our back catalog week by week to make it available on your favorite podcast platforms. What you're about to hear is episode four, Rock Bottom, which originally aired in February of 2017. Derek and I discuss every hero's lowest moment and how they find the courage to keep going. Special hat tip to the movie Gladiator. So hop in the time machine with us and enjoy episode four, Rock Bottom. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell this story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Episode four, bit of a sad title, Rock Bottom. Rock Bottom. So guys, welcome to the Midnight Myth. As you know, I'm, I'm your host, Derek. With with me is my lovely and amazing girlfriend, Laurel. Hey. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about a quintessential step of the hero's journey. And just a few, like a real quick preamble. We record these things a few weeks ahead of time. We try our best to make sure that we have a backlog of episodes so that way, in case life happens, we still have one to put out every week. So the things that are happening in current events may not be as current when you finally hear the podcast. Yeah, maybe a couple of weeks behind. We try to keep these things pretty uh, pretty timeless, if you will. But Sure. Yeah. But the reason I, I mentioned that... Um, there's a lot of bleak things happening in the news right now. And this podcast is not necessarily about all of the bleak things that are happening in the news and our thoughts on them. Cause quite frankly, I'm not qualified to talk about it. Nope. At least I am, but just not to the entire internet. <laughs> right. So we thought about what happens when you hit a low, what happens when you hit a rock bottom, when you're at this point in your life, whether you're an individual in a story or you're just going through life and you you just don't see a lot of options and you're not feeling a lot of hope. And I think that's the the basic inspiration for the show today. Yeah. What's funny, I think, is when creating the episodes of this podcast, we have really started to revisit cliche and rock bottom feeling like one of those major cliches that you might hear in everyday life. Uh and and part of that i'm i'm okay gravitating towards cliche because that's what we're about here at the midnight myth the universal story the themes that continue to reiterate throughout all time and nothing becomes a cliche without having a grain of truth in it so rock bottom today 
how the mighty have fallen. Excuse me, I had a a little tickle in my throat. (laughs) So I was thinking about one of my all-time favorite stories and one of my all-time favorite movies, the movie Gladiator. And um, I love that movie so much that it's one of the reasons when I went back to school I studied history, because I wanted to learn more about the the ancient Rome, because I love it. But this is not a podcast about historical fiction. I promise you that's coming. <laughs> we have an idea yeah. for it, and it's a scorcher. Sure. And we're, we're going to have a really lively debate. But what I thought about that movie, <clears throat> wow, my, my voice is a little gravelly, so apologies. When I thought about that movie, the main character, Maximus, and oh, if you haven't seen Gladiator, pause, go and watch it right now, because... I will spoil the ever-living heck out of it. Uh, The Roman Empire falls? The Roman Empire does not fall, but if I may be permitted a little bit of historical indulgence, is that okay? Sure, go for it. Just a preamble, I've read maybe half a dozen books on ancient Rome. I've taken a few classes. I'm not an expert. I would just be above a layman in terms of ancient Roman knowledge. So the time that Gladiator takes place is considered by a lot of Roman historians to be the the height of Roman imperial majesty. Mm -hmm. Rome has been an empire for about 100 years at this point, and it had just had a series of amazing emperors, including Marcus Aurelius, who's a character. Side note, I've read his meditations. If you want to get a really good introduction to Stoic philosophy, you should start there. He's also played in that movie by Richard Harris. Big shout out to Richard Harris, who has played major roles in many important stories that we will revisit as we go on, including Harry Potter and also Cromwell. He's in uh, that biopic of Oliver Cromwell, which I'm sure I will talk about at some point. Ooh, uh, excited. I've never seen that. Yeah, lots yeah, of interesting history there. Anyway, go on. So the the end of that imperial dynasty was Commodus, who right. is the central villain. <clears throat> Sorry, scratchy throat. Central villain in in the the movie Gladiator. But what really struck me about that movie and pertaining to where I'm at now, the main character, Maximus, and as far as I know, has very little basis in historical fact, was the man. This is a dude who was conquering Germania with Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor, and not just a emperor, one of the greatest. Not many Roman emperors make it a long time. He'd already been emperor for 20 years, which is a sign he's doing it right, because most get assassinated by someone at some point. And to put things in context, the the Roman Empire at this point is a full on military dictatorship. You get power by being the greatest general, and that's one of the basis of it. And yeah, officially speaking, the Senate is who confirms the emperor. But if you don't have the army behind you, it's not going to happen. The army's just going to overthrow and put who they want there. Maximus is the number two dude in this story. He is with the emperor by all rights. It is his empire to have. And Commodus, who in the story, not in reality, I don't think he actually kills Marcus Aurelius in the story. When he kills Marcus Aurelius, really interesting, you know, play on his Oedipal complex. Yeah. You know, he's in love with his sister and kills his father. Not what we're talking about. Sorry, I'm digressing. Um, When he does this, he destroys Maximus. And it might seem really cruel, because it is, and it might seem really weird, but actually in in ancient Rome, when you want to destroy someone and you're in in power, 
you wipe out everyone. So Maximus, he, he himself is ordered for execution. He's just a little too badass, so he ends up making sure that he doesn't get killed. Mm-hmm. And he goes to, to find his wife and child, who are then completely and totally uh, raped and killed and burnt alive, essentially. Mm. Yeah. But, and based upon these circumstances, then Maximus is, is enslaved. And as a slave, he loses all agency. He ends up being sold to a gladiator and being put into the gladiator pits to fight. <clears throat> and I ask myself, what sustains him? What keeps him going? Right. This what is, is the, a, what is the uh, crack of light, you know, from the, the bottom of the well that he's in. Yeah, this is about as dark as it gets. Now, Maximus is not the only character through literature, film, that has had to just lose it all. And just literally, the the villain just took everything that mattered away from them. It's compounded in Gladiator that we get the sense that the character is not an ambitious man. The character is not someone that enjoys war. And these are you know pretty historically inaccurate. You would imagine if you're a top Roman general... You know politics a little bit. You like combat a little bit. <clears throat> you know, you you like power a little bit. But th- this character, Maximus, who is just sort of the stoic aide of Marcus Aurelius, isn't into that whatsoever. And when you've literally lost everything, what keeps you going? And th- that, that question just started ruminating on to me, especially looking at right now. And, the you know, the one, I guess, sort of meta reflection I have when you've lost everything, the only thing you have left to do is fight. Yeah. And that's what Maximus does. He fights. He and, and you know why he fights when you watch Gladiator? He fights because he doesn't want his fellow gladiators to die. He's put into the re- arena. He knows he's the most badass dude there. Right? He knows he's no one thinks he's going to do anything because mm-hmm. he doesn't plan to train. He knows he can kill all the other gladiators. And the one, one thing that motivates him and we see it in the scene where he picks up the dirt and he rubs it on his hands. Something that he does so that he can have a good grip on his sword. He does that in the very beginning of the movie. When he does that, you know this is this is someone who his honor, his military gravitas, if you will, will not permit him to lay down and watch other people that he cares about die. So he chooses to fight. And I think when you are at the bottom, when you hit that low, the only thing left to do it's to fight. And from there, what happens to this character, right? What happens in this story? Once he decides to embrace the reality that he's in and to make the best of the circumstances, not of his choosing, but that the world has thrust on him, he topples an empire. Hmm. And there's no basis that I know of in history uh, for Maximus killing Comatus in a gladiatorial arena. But that's not the point. You know what I... I We'll interject quickly, though. Oh, please uh, do, please from, do. From what I've heard, and I'm I'm much less of a uh, of an expert in Roman history than you are. To be clear, I'm not an expert, and, and, just a just a fan, right? So I have very little um, uh, steeped historical knowledge in the Roman Empire. But from what I have heard, Commodus did have a penchant for gladiatorial combat. Like he was, as he was growing up, he trained as a gladiator and it was something he was really deeply obsessed with. And from what I hear, 
that is actually downplayed in the movie. It was a huge part of his life, his love of the gladiator and his interest in like being immersed in that world. So I think that's an interesting jumping off point that they had probably for that movie. Oh yeah. I I mean, from the histories that I have read, uh, Comatis was obsessed with gladiatorial combat. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and he would often don the, uh, uh, the Naaman lamb, not lamb, lion, the lion, the yeah, lion of, of Hercules. Hercules. Uh, in in Rome, it would be Hercules. In Greek, it would be Heracles. Glory of Hera. Because he, um, you know, Hercules was a major cult. So he would dress up like Hercules, essentially, and jump into the gladiatorial arena and just kill people whenever he wanted. Yeah, so he was truly obsessed with gladiatorial combat. And uh, he was truly obsessed with with proving glory in that. And, you know, it, and when when you are the most powerful person in the world and you are just completely disturbed on some some fundamental level, you're going to find the thing. And Comatus's thing, one of his many things was was gladiatorial. Now, I could I can probably hear my Roman history professor, Dr. K cringe with the simplicity to which I'm making this. Sure. And so Dr. K, if you ever listen to this, which I hope you do, but if you ever do, I apologize for being overly simplistic, but we're about storytelling, not about history. So. Yeah. But we're here about, you know, every, every possible angle and every influence on storytelling. So I really appreciate your perspective. Uh, I liked what you said about, you know, losing everything and then, Deciding that there's nothing to do but fight brings me to another important cliche, uh, nothing to lose. You know, this time it's personal. Um, you know, stories are full of those. What I wanted to to really talk about are the, you know, the prevalence of that trope and the the variations therein. Do it. Uh, let's, let's, let's dive it in. Let's go. Let's, 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 let's tackle it like we're gladiators. Right. So uh, rock bottom. You know, it's, it's a, not a good place to be. Um, I, I was interested in what you said about Commodus. I'm glad we were talking about him because it proved a, an interesting segue for me into the story of Hercules or the Greek, uh, Greek version of the name Heracles. I'll just say Hercules cause that's the more recognizable that, that, That's term. the way Disney did it. So henceforth, that's the way it is. And the Disney movie, uh, extremely accurate to most retellings of that myth. Really? I've never seen the Disney no, movie. No, oh. no, no, no. No. Uh, okay. Wow. You um, just, I, you, you, if you just made me want to be like, yes, I can't wait to see the Disney movie. This is going to be great. It's actually accurate. Oh, no. no. Well, oh. inaccuracy is a, a funny word when you're referring to mythology because it didn't actually happen as far as most of us are concerned. But the, the film is, is a definitely a sugar coated uh, retelling of very tiny pieces of the Hercules myth. Right. But um, I, I've, I've just put myself on blast. I've never seen it. I guess I felt accurate to the spirit of the no. Greek myth. No, okay. No. Well, how could Disney be accurate to the spirit of a Greek myth anyway, right? Like, Especially of one that starts in the way that this one does. So if you're sure. unfamiliar with uh, the source material for the Disney uh, movie musical cartoon Hercules, which I think is a really fun movie, I enjoy it, um, despite its glaring inaccuracies. Uh it begins with an act of adultery, as most Greek epic myths do. Special adultery, though, if I may inquire. Or, divine or adultery. Divine. And this is something we'll probably talk about in the future, too. Got, the conception got a little of, of that. God love. Yeah. Oh, God. Zeus is terrible. Um, 
you and I will probably talk about this in a future podcast, but the circumstances of Hercules' conception is very uh, it's very connected to the circumstances of uh, King Arthur's conception. I think they're very similar in in, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, Zeus was known for sneaking about on his wife Hera. Just, just for for the record, if you don't mind, who's Zeus? How was Hercules conceived? Who were Hera? Just give a quick, you know, like mythology 101, even, even less than 101. Sure. So Zeus is uh, king of the gods. He is the uh, the ruler of Mount Olympus. He is kind of the the mold or template for a lot of uh, all-knowing, like, bearded god father figures. But he was probably in his uh, in his creation as or his amalgamation as a Greek god was probably uh, a coming together of a lot of, like, local or village gods. And so some of his... Um, Portrayals can be a little inconsistent. There's a lot that he that he does, but he kind of is the guy with the lightning bolts, and he rules from Mount Olympus, and he's constantly, you know, getting it with all the hottest ladies in Greece, like the King of the Gods does. I yeah, but we're not normalizing um, adultery or sexual assault on no, this I'm podcast. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Mel Brooks <laughs> said this. It's good to be the king. Oh my god, uh, Hera was his wife. Um, who was consistently and constantly uh, jealous and upset about Zeus's many, many affairs, uh, most of which he would perpetrate while uh, disguised as an animal or a ray of light or some other kind of creature. Um, yeah, that's Zeus and Hera. She's the goddess of a lot of things, fertility included, I think, as one of her uh, patronages, but a, a lot of things. Um so Hercules' mother, Alcamini, was visited by Zeus in the guise of her husband, who was away at war, and they got it on, and Hercules was conceived. Later that night, Alcamini's actual husband came back from war, they got down again, and Hercules's twin was conceived the same night, so... Uh, uh, you know, a biological anomaly there. Uh, they were hetero. Uh, uh, I forget the words. We were, we're not good on medical at the Midnight Myth podcast. And it's all good. Someone tweet us why, what, what that term is. I know what it is. I just don't remember because I've been drinking. Um, we have been drinking, haven't we? Yes. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so the twins share a womb, but not a father. So, uh, Interesting parallels to King Arthur in that way, and we will definitely talk about that on a future podcast. The major events of Hercules' life don't really commence until a really terrible thing happens and he loses everything. It's all based on the jealousy of Hera about Zeus's affair. She really kind of never forgives Hercules for existing, and she throws a lot of tests at him as a baby. And then as an adult, she gets a lot worse in the way that she punishes him for existing. Uh, and one of those things that happens is she sends him into sort of a blackout uh, state of madness. And he wakes up from it, finding out that he has murdered his wife and children. That's totally rough. And just so everyone knows, in case, in case you don't, Hercules was the strongest human being who ever lived. This is like super strength. 
This is the Incredible Hulk version of ancient Greek heroes. Yeah, he's a heroic demigod, uh, you know, descendant of Perseus, son of Zeus, uh, potentially immortal. Uh, lots of interesting stuff about Hercules that we'll definitely get into at some point. Oh, sure. And in, in pure fact, one of the most important heroes, in particular for the Romans, who had an entire cult that worshipped Hercules as a god. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, after, after uh, Hercules wakes up from this state of madness and realizes what he's done, he's overcome with grief. You know, he has... He has lost the the people who are most important to him, and worse than that, he has lost them to his own hand. Uh, so it's it's impossible to kind of get inside the head of Hercules in that way because it's such a profound grief that he must have felt, uh, and to have hit that far of a low and to keep going, I think, is really admirable. And and one of the reasons that I think he lives on is because of that strength of character. It keeps him going. He visits the Oracle at Delphi uh, for advice on how to continue his life, how to atone for his sins. Uh, and along the way, really discovers that he can not only atone for the, the death of his wife, the death of his children, but realize the, uh, the greatness, the grandness of his own destiny. Uh, so Hercules, I think you know, really takes that rock bottom and hits a, you know, a new level in his quest for uh, demigodship and immortality. Sure. Uh, he completes his 12 labors at the behest of Hera and his cousin Eurystheus. Uh, some of those, you know, the, the Nemean lion is one of those. Uh, he defeats the Nemean lion. He fights the Hydra. It's uh, just countless, uh, seemingly it, impossible tasks. Isn't one of them that he found a way to divert a river to clean up cow shit? I'm sorry, we usually don't curse on the podcast. But oh, yeah. Yeah, isn't that one right. of them? Yeah, he cleans up like an epic amount of cow shit. It yeah. might not be cows, but I know it, I know that it was shit. Now that I've, I've opened up cursing, <laughs> I, I just kind of run with it. Um, yeah, but really a, a, a remarkable example of taking rock bottom and, and going to the next level. And what I really think is at the bottom of that is not, it's not just grief, but I, I don't know. What would you, what would you say is, is, is the light that keeps him going? I have a hard time pinpointing it. So for him, for him, it, it's justice. It's atonement. It's redemption. It's, yeah. it's, I have done something terrible. And even though I have done this terrible thing, and it's the most horrible thing anyone can do, yeah, is hurt the innocent that you love. It, so once you've done this most terrible thing, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. And he can't undo it. He can't make it unhappen. So for what, what sustains him is that there is a path for him to which that if he does these uh, originally 10 labors, but he gets right. kind of cheated into yeah, two additional. So don't count. it turns into 12. If he does these 12 labors at the end of the day, he will have righted the wrong and he will have the ability to simply just be a man then. And to be a regular man to, to maybe take a wife, even though he will never be a regular man because he's Hercules. Yeah. Um, so for, for him, the thing that, that, that spark in him, I think the thing that connects him and and Maximus, um, not only are they both set in the ancient world, they're both set in this amazing backdrop of you know mythic storytelling, 
they both have a a fragile flame that burns within them that just will not go out. And so for for Hercules, it's atonement. Yeah. For for Maximus, I think it's I think it's vengeance. Yeah. Well, and that's that's interesting uh, because another thing I wanted to turn my eye to and just briefly was uh, stories like the Count of Monte, Monte Cristo. Uh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, which is another. Can I can I just say Midnight Myth listeners, Boomerang? We did not plan this. She just threw in. Um, I'm sorry, Curveball, not Boomerang. Boomerang. Boomerangs sure. are cool too. You know what? From now on, if we if we address boomerang. something, if we address something we haven't talked about, can we just call it a boomerang? Sure, why not? We just boomeranged. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was thinking about characters in uh, in major literature and, and art that have hit rock bottom, as we say, and the first thing that came to my mind was the Count of Monte Cristo, um, who, and we've so far been talking about characters who have reached the lowest of lows based on things that are generally outside of their control. Yep. Uh you know the count uh, is is in pri- he's falsely imprisoned. He's sabotaged and loses everything. He's in this uh, this French prison and he has to break out. And then he breaks out with this you know that pilot light in his belly of of revenge that you know he's gonna he's gonna claim back what he's lost. And that that fire of revenge keeps him going and really poisons his soul. Uh, so that nothing really works out for him in the end, because motivation has to be pure, I think, for a, a hero to succeed. And so mm. I, I think it must Interesting be point. more. I think it must be more for uh, for Maximus in that I, way. Not so, that he really, you know, you know, he. Spoiler alert: He dies. Everybody dies, but I, I think he does succeed in that film. And so I think that it must be something purer than vengeance. That keeps I, him going. Yes, I I think there's also the Maximus really just wants to go home. Mm-hmm. Right, that's his big motivation. He just wants to go home, and he 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 wants to like. So in the very beginning, he he talks about when Marcus Aurelius says, "Hey, you know what can Rome give its greatest generals?" He says, "Let me go home." Yeah. When he finds out that he is terminated, the first thing he says is, are my wife and children okay? No, they're not. Where does he go? He goes there. Once he loses them, he's lost everything. So I think, yes, there's a motive for him to want to get vengeance on Commodus. But I think to him, there's this, I just really want to be with my wife and child. But there's a paradox there because he obviously believes in the afterlife and uh, not to delve too deep into this subject, but to an ancient Roman, suicide doesn't bar you mm-hmm. from access to the afterlife in the way, like, let's say if you're a Catholic, or if you kill yourself, you're damned. You know, to an ancient, you know, pagan Roman, you know, actually killing yourself is considered noble in, in certain circumstances. Not advocating for suicide, it's not noble. But, it, you know, that being said, there's an interesting question of why doesn't Maximus kill himself if he knows that gets him to where he wants to be. And I would add that there's a part of that vengeance is part of that flame where if I'm alive, I still might get the opportunity to, to get to Comatus. And he's mentioned that a few times in the movie, but there's this other part of him too is he is 
not only does he want to go home, but he's also fundamentally a soldier and he views his other gladiators as soldiers. So he has to be there for them. Yeah. And I think that purity of motivation is important. uh, Which is why he's not a jerk. Right. Because what he, what he does in service of his, of his desires is I think more out of love than out of fear or hate. Sure. Uh, And I would say the same thing out of Hercules. I would not say the same thing about the Count of Monte Cristo. I would not say the same thing about Macbeth. Right. About all of these examples of... Or Hamlet. Oh, God. Don't get me started on Hamlet. We should shelve Hamlet because that's... Yeah. We could go on for a while. Yeah. And I'd have to reread it. There's an interesting scene in Gladiator in which, uh, you know... Commodus is pretty much certain he's laid a gladiatory a gladiatorial trap for Maximus. He's called on this really retired great gladiator, and he's planned for tigers to just pop up and eat Maximus mm-hmm. while he's fighting. Mm-hmm. And in all of this, Maximus ends up winning the fight, doesn't kill the other gladiator despite Commodus wanting him to. And Commodus comes out with his Praetorian guard, which are the guards in purple. They're the personal army of the the Roman emperor, and says, you know, you just won't die. And, um, you know, you know, Maximus just looks at him and just says, you know, the time for honoring yourself will soon be at an end. And he just makes this simple stoic philosophy of we're all going to die. What we do in the material plane is meaningless, you know, only in the respect that if we do something uh, of value, if we do something of nobility, if we if we put um, virtue at the heart of our decision making, we will do something good and universally good. But other than that, it's meaningless. And he just makes that statement there that I think shows that there's a deep philosophy to, to Maximus, though he doesn't articulate it. But that's obviously why Marcus Aurelius and him connect. And there's a simplicity to his philosophy that I think is beyond just vengeance. And I think so because of that, he's got that small little flame that burns within him and that, that carries him on. And Hercules, I think, has, has has a similar one. And, you know, the interesting thing is, and the tragic thing is, and not to be too real, some of us, that flame will go out. Yeah. Right? We all don't get to have a little flame, and that flame doesn't always get to burn as bright as it should. And sometimes we lose our way. Right. And sometimes that happens, and sometimes we do legitimately hit rock bottom, and we never climb out of it. That's reality. Yeah. But what makes storytelling so relevant, at least for me, when and whenever I'm close, whenever I feel like I am adrift, there's always these examples that like, hey, if Hercules could get through what he did, mm. okay. I can get through my student loans. Yeah, I, yes, exactly right. I can get through the fact that, you know, I may not have the career that I envisioned in my life. Yeah. Not saying my career is bad because I love my career, but, you know, I'm just kind of putting towards those sort of stereotypical first world problem-y thing. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting a little preachy, so I'm going to dial it back. It's okay. It's good. Um, yeah, Samuel Beckett has a really good uh, line in the unnameable uh, that I keep coming back to, and the line is very simple. It's just, I can't go on. I'll go on. And it seems to me like a, a battle that we fight every day uh, with with ourselves. Uh, just the feeling that maybe there is no hope and 
with a little more perseverance, with a little more courage, with a little more acceptance of the fact that the future is coming and we got to just rise to meet it, we go on. I think that's beautiful. And if you're like me and you're picking up your smartphone and you're being overwhelmed with notifications and it just feels like you're being buried under the uh, the total BS of, of the current era that we live in, um, remember that you could have been a Roman general that lost it all, but you could still t- topple the Roman Empire. Yep. So hang in there, you know, hang, hang in there. Stories can tell us a lot. There's been a lot of characters uh, that we can draw inspiration from. Um, I'm going to mutilate this quote, but it's from one of the historical figures that I I admire the most, George Washington. Um, And no, I'm not just like this founding father dude that's just like, oh, the founding father, blah, blah, blah. We love them. I legitimately have read a lot of books about George Washington and admire him. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, Perseverance and Spirit has done wonders in all ages. Yep. And I probably got one or two of those words wrong because, you know, we're having whiskey while we do this podcast. But <laughs> that being said, don't forget that, that that's that's the glue that connects Hercules to Maximus. Spirit. Yeah. So uh, did we, we didn't plan a game. We didn't plan a game. We can come should up we, with sh- one. Should we wing it? Yes, we should wing it. Okay. Before we wing it. The term I was trying to think of was heteropaternal superfecundation. I'm, I am so impressed, and I have no basis to to challenge that. That I'm instantly accepting that as fact. Yeah. Okay. So we're playing a game now. Uh, every week on the Midnight Myth Podcast, we're going to play a little game, and that game is going to be something we'd like you to participate in. So if you have an answer to this question and would like to have a little fun with us as well, please tweet at us your responses. Uh, the Twitter handle is at the midnight myth. All right, let's do this. You've hit rock bottom. Okay. You're going to fill in the rest of this. That's the game. No. Oh no. I'm we're, we're, we're inventing the game as we go along. So yes. we've hit rock bottom. So, uh, you're just asking me to make up a game right now. Yes. So we've hit rock bottom. Now that we're at rock bottom, there's only one U.S. president, could be anyone that ever lived, except for George Washington, because I would just pick him, Um, except for George Washington, because he's the the man. And we'll, we'll rule out Abraham Lincoln. You only have one president that can give you a motivational speech. Which president do you choose? Go. John F. Kennedy. All right, that's it. Tell me more. I mean, dude could talk. No, wait, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. You can't pick two. I picked Jimmy Carter. Okay, tell me why. Man could talk. Um, yeah, you know, it, you could say what you will about his presidency. Uh, that guy knew how to turn a phrase and was passionate and could really get down into the the depths of your heart with his words. And he could speak to, I think, all Americans in, uh, and I'm not, you know, trying to make a whole like soapboxy platform for Jimmy Carter, but uh, yeah, I think he, I think he really connected to a lot of people and I think he connects to me. And every time I listen to one of his speeches, I, I get really uh goosebumpy. All right. You know, and 
I, I think that's cool. You know, my only pushback to that, and this is in no means to be disrespectful, but uh, Jimmy Carter is also super duper uber uber religious. Yeah, sure. And um, you know, that's awesome if you are religious. I'm just not, and I don't know if I'm at rock bottom. I would need or want to hear that. But um, I might appreciate a little bit of uh, no, a little no, bit the, of hallelujahs listen, at listen, rock bottom. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just not what. I think I would want. Sorry, I'm also just realized something on Logic, so I've been tapping my keyboard. So here's who I would choose. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. You know why? Because if I could get a speech from anyone, I want to hear the great, the one of the greatest, if not the greatest American Enlightenment thinker. So like, talk to me in Enlightenment lingo, because that'd be cool. You know, I'd want, I'd want to hear a full philosophical breakdown on why my despair means nothing. And Thomas Jefferson was a dude that was pretty familiar with despair. Now, you know, we can't skirt around the fact that he was a slave owner. Yeah, it's and, problematic as hell. And yeah. not, not just a slave owner, he owned like hundreds of slaves, like a major slave owner. But, you know, he lost so many of his family members to disease at so many points. And he plunged into despair so many times. This was a guy that didn't naturally fit the spotlight and the limelight, but was constantly always thrust in that position. And I feel like if I'm like at the end of my rope, having read enough of Thomas Jefferson's personal writings to his friends and family, I feel like he would be genuinely inspiring and uplifting. And I, I really wonder if like, Hey, am I smart enough to like write letters and talk in the enlightenment and enlightenment talk? Cause like they were really smart then. Like the language was much more complex and mm -hmm. and not as simple as it is today. You didn't like Thomas Jefferson couldn't tweet. It wouldn't be in 140 characters. No. Freaking impossible. You know, it's like the countenance of the fact of sublimeness hits our soul in almighty duty. All right, you're giving me the look that I'm rambling cuz No, I no, I just wanted to uh uh to go on from there in the the sense that you know when when media wasn't so easily accessible it was more important to choose your words more carefully and so uh any anything that survives from those eras is going to be a little more carefully uh crafted right you can't just disseminate your opinion all over the internet in a heartbeat yeah you got to get it right anyway that being said guys tweet us your responses at the midnightmyth.com if you're listening <laughs> please subscribe it's not at the midnight myth. .com. Yeah. The Twitter handle is at the midnight myth. The website is midnightmyth.com. Uh, sign up for our email list. We'll start getting some updates out there. Uh, and just drop us a line, leave us a review on iTunes. And you know, if you're enjoying yourself, tell a friend, tell a stranger in the supermarket. If, uh, if you've got feedback, shoot us an email. Uh, like I said, there'll be a contact form on the website and we'll have a place where you guys can leave some feedback. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and seriously, guys, if you're out there and you're feeling low, you're not alone. You know, we're we're with you, but find whatever it is that carries you on, and we'll be there to support you in solidarity and love and empathy. Rise up. Yeah, and until next time, be kind. Be kind. Be kind.